Hi, kids. It's me, Ronald McDonald. And I'm on the set of my very first motion picture ever. It's a movie called Mac and Me. And it stars my little friend from outer space here. His name is Mac, and I want to introduce you to him. Mac? Anybody seen Mac? Where'd he go? Aging Ronald McDonald. Well, listen, I've got to go now. You're wanted in makeup. <laughs> makeup? Me? gaps in our pop culture resume each episode as our panel sits down to debate dispute and discuss a much loved classic they'll be joined by the first time as someone who's never before experienced that cultural icon will they see what the fuss is or just be left wondering what the hell was that my name is dan and i'm joined each and every week by eden hey Aiden. Yo, yo, yo. And this week we are ripping off intellectual property and cramming in as much product placement as we can as we unpack the 80s. So bad, it's so good. Film classic Mac and Me with journalist Greg Barilla. Welcome, Greg. Hello, guys. So, Greg, you know, we invite people on the show and they get to choose something that they would like to uh, watch for the first time. And you choose one of the worst movies of all time. <laughs> I, I did, absolutely. Take us through thinking. Why, why did you want to inflict this on yourself? Are you well, a masochist? Well, look, I didn't Sadist, mean to do this to you is. guys is, is the bottom line. <laughs> when you asked me to, to be on the podcast, I did have a, a good long think about, you know, what's a piece of pop culture I haven't experienced before? And I started trawling, you know, a lot of websites and uh, and I somehow found this this list of worst films ever made. And Wait, <laughs> so you're a journalist that did research? I'm so confused. <laughs> Newsflash. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm looking through this list. And, and, you know, being a child of the 80s, I think I'm a little bit older than you guys. I This film jumped out at me and the cover was, you know, was intriguing to me. And I mentioned it to my wife and I said, um, have you ever heard of this film, Mackamine? She's like, oh, yeah, you know, I saw that in, in the late 80s. So um, I was intrigued. I went down the rabbit hole and, and here we are. Okay. <laughs> I, I feel like we do need to go down, around the room a little bit of an age. Cause, so this film came out in 1988. Yes, it did. I was two years old. How old were you? I was nine. Okay, so... It's possible that there is a memory in the back of your brain of seeing that on posters and, and videos. It's, and yeah, whatever. it's possible. Um, so, yeah, I would have been, you know, quite young, but it's possible. And, and in fact, this film would have been, you know, targeted at people my age. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Because I, I had nothing. I'd never heard <laughs> of this, never seen it, never seen the poster, rang no bells at all. I 100% had seen this as a child. Wow. This had been a, like a video rental for me as a kid. I'd seen the cover at like a blockbuster. The poster. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like I'd never seen the movie itself. I was two as well. Because I was wondering if it actually opened in cinemas in Australia. Well, yeah, that's. Uh, did it have a wide enough release to come well, out? Not even it? in the US. I think in the US, and we'll probably get to that, is yeah. that it only had like a two-week run in right. the States before it disappeared yeah, forever. Yeah, because I, I did didn't... research and couldn't find anywhere that it actually showed in Australia, but obviously went to DVD <laughs> but they or, were yeah. or VHS back in the day. They yeah. <laughs> it to be huge. So mm. I believe that at least for that first week or two, it was like widely big, big. released. They, okay. were, they had high hopes. But, yeah. usually, but, before but usually we go Australia on, gets things late. Like they get that's them true. Like, Six months Especially later. back yeah, then. We're probably like, getting it next year, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we go on, uh, Greg, when we get guests in, uh, we like to get to know them a little bit mm. and let the listeners get to know the sort of pop what kind of madman chooses Macamy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've got 10 things here that you have to Ooh. say yes or no okay. to. You can't elaborate. Uh, just simple yes or no answers, please. Uh, okay. Board game nights. Yes. Garfield. Yes. Escape rooms. Yes. Roller derby. No. Folk music. Uh, no. The recently announced Bill and Ted 3. Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No. Matthew Broderick. Uh, no. Saturday Night Live. No. Putting your internet browser on private so you can read news articles online even once you've used up your monthly quota. 
No. Have <laughs> <laughs> you emphatic on that last one for legal reasons? <laughs> and hello to employers. <laughs> All right, very Hashtag good. pay for news. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, if uh, you are uh, listening wherever you are right now, and like Aiden, uh, you would like Mac and me, what is that? I'm a little bit too young for that. Uh, let's uh, jump back in time and fill you in a little bit. Arguably, most of the films ever made are bad movies, terrible movies, cheaply made or ill-directed, low-budget fiascos, pet projects gone wrong. But it takes an exceptional movie, an exceptionally terrible movie, to rise above the constant stream of fettered films and become something else entirely. A film so terrible that its name will live on far beyond its peers, and indeed far beyond most of the competent or even successful films of its era. And, dear friends, that film today is Mac and Me, a film so crass and derivative that it's hard to tell if the filmmakers were extremely cynical or just desperately naive. Mac and Me is a movie about a group of kids and teens that find a lost alien and must protect it from dastardly government agents. Sounds familiar? It should. Just six years after Steven Spielberg captured millions of hearts with E.T., a movie about a group of kids and teens that find a lost alien and must protect it from dastardly government agents... Karate Kid producer R.J. Lewis decided that the next generation needed an E.T. of their own. The next generation. The next generation of children that had somehow sprung up in the six years between 1982 and 1988 and were tired of the generations that had come before them shoving E.T. down their throats. And so Lewis created Mac. It supposedly stands for mysterious or mystery alien creature. But, and it's surely no coincidence, Mac is also short for McDonald's. And Lewis envisioned a movie that would feature a lovable young alien alongside Ronald McDonald and raise money for Ronald McDonald House Charities. That is not a joke, people. That is the light bulb moment that eventually turned into the movie Mac and Me. On the surface, the movie seems a cynical exercise in exploitation, ripping off other films, loading itself with product placement and going out of its way to push the McDonald's brand in particular. Worse, perhaps in an attempt to hook itself some sympathy, the main child actor who finds Mac and attempts to save him is a young paraplegic actor in a wheelchair. At least that's how most critics and members of the public felt. Lewis, for his part, has always denied any cynicism. He says he just wanted to make a heartwarming movie and raise money for a charity close to his heart. Perhaps most bizarrely, Lewis appears to have not given up hope on Mac returning to cinema screens. Comically, given how terrible the movie did in theatres, barely recouping half of its $13 million budget, the movie ends with Mac and his alien family driving off in a pink Cadillac and a little bubble pops out that says, We'll be back! That seems a long shot, but if we're still talking about the movie 30 years later, perhaps anything is possible. Greg, would you be excited for Mac and Me, The Return? I think I think culturally we need this to happen, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was intrigued by that as well, that last uh, hopeful moment there at the end where they suggest <laughs> that they're coming back. They, I don't know. don't know if it's going to happen. They must have just really genuinely thought that this was going to be another E.T. type movie, another great, fun movie for kids that they can merchandise. And it, it, I, I, How do they see that? <laughs> <laughs> but E.T. was huge. Like, you can understand why they thought that was going to yeah, go like, the same way. But why Their movie six pales. years later that... <laughs> Man, the kids today just need another alien. Yeah, what's doing E.T. ET. too? (laughs) Look, it works for Marvel. (laughs) That's true. There's so many of these refillable kind of genre movies that in a way you can sort of understand why the producer thought it would work. But the fact that it was just such a, you know, I think the New York Times just called it a blatant clone and that's exactly what it is. Well, there's five different. It's doomed for failure. Five different Spider-Man films and they all tell the origin story. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, It's. It just. It, I, <laughs> I normally, when I do that little pre-bit, I normally talk about the plot and just sort of get the plot out of the way. But I just, what plot is there in this movie? There is none. It, it literally, if you've seen E.T., you basically know yeah. the plot, Yeah. right? Well, it's yeah. extraordinary because 
you know, you've done the research that, you know, the sort of stuff that I've read as well. And that producer guy that, that made this was sort of saying that he wanted it to be an exact kind of clone of E.T. for those reasons, because he knew it was so popular. But then he put all these twists in there to make it, you know, like, oh, we're not we're not ripping off that movie. It was just bizarre. Like giving him a family. <laughs> yeah. it, the, the first scene of the movie is enough that you're just like, whoa, it's, this has gone bad it's immediately. disgusting. <laughs> Do you want to describe it, Eden? No, I don't. Please, <laughs> please. I, 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 it is ba- what just like basically a, his alien family, right? Like, Describe what these aliens look like. Uh, shriveled <laughs> up little worm thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like they they look like humans wearing other human skin <laughs> uh, all over their body and their face, but the humans the the skin is all like just droopy oh. and. Like they they talk, but their mouths don't move. Like like nothing actually. No expressions on their face change. They whistle, don't they? Oh yeah, Is yeah, that yeah, how they yeah, talk? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I wrote down nutsack looking <laughs> whistling aliens, mouth like a bumhole. Yeah, the mouths don't it. move. Don't know, just, nothing yeah, moves yeah. on them because Static they're just little circles. It looks like they're wearing the corpse of a dead thing. But don't forget, this is probably you know very much part of the plot that he's trying to build here. At the start of the film, um, they're on their alien planet and and. Inexplicably, oh. <laughs> they 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 bring these straw things out, put them into the ground, and start sucking this like unknown fluid out of the planet, yeah, which the is hell? really just a clever setup for what happens later in the film, which is that Coca Cola features a lot in the film. Well, Coca Cola features, but predominantly it's McDonald's. Coca Cola is that like obviously the company that McDonald's uses for all of its beverages, but like McDonald's is literally in every 15 minutes it pops up again and again and again. And the, the, col- and the colour film. scheme everywhere is always yeah. just the McDonald's colours. Yeah. They, they oh, even gosh. have one of the characters work in McDonald's and she's never not in her uniform. Yeah. Like, so you're <laughs> constantly seeing the golden arch. Oh. Oh. It is like they've, they've never really admitted that it was funded by McDonald's, have they? They've oh. tried to hide that fact. The- yeah. They, there was a link. like Yeah, there was definitely a link. They, they weren't funded directly. So what happened was that um, the guy that made the film, RJ Louis, that uh, Dan mentioned at the top there, um, used to make commercials for Ronald McDonald House charities. Yeah. So that, that's how he was associated with this thing. And then he has this idea for the movie, and he thinks, wouldn't it be great if we made this film that promoted this charity? McDonald's is going to love it. You know, it's great for the kids. Um, so he goes to them, and somehow he gets the whole rights to the whole of uh, McDonald's uh, franchise, the, the, the Golden Arches, the name. Yeah, he's Ronald got the right, himself. Yeah, yeah, and as he says, he's the only guy on the universe ever to have full rights to the company. Which, so he wins those. Did you, as you research it, he seems to say that a lot in a lot of different contexts. <laughs> he like, does. he still hangs his hat on that. Like, yeah. I'm the only guy to ever get the rights. <laughs> Absolutely. But McDonald's didn't didn't put up the money. It was one of their, like, their main suppliers who supplied, like, bread and pickles and lettuce and stuff. And he's the guy that went, yeah, I see the opportunity here. All right. Wow. So did McDonald's release Happy Meals or toys of some sort of Mac in their promotional stuff I, at the time? I don't know. I think um, once the film was out and it looked like it was going to be a massive flop, McDonald's kind of backed away a bit. Right. And, some, and also some of the <laughs> ads apparently weren't pitched quite right because they wanted it to be all about the charity. But then when the movie came out, a lot of the ads were just about, you know, buying McDonald's burgers. So it didn't really hit the brief there as well. So, yeah, I think they kind of backed away really quickly. Is that the charity even mentioned in the film, though? Uh, I, don't I don't think, think so. so. Like, no. there's a kid in a wheelchair, clearly, but like, it was never linked to like, that he needed help from yeah, Ronald no. McDonald House or anything. Surely like that. that's just a line you insert. Like, yeah. thank goodness Ronald <laughs> McDonald House bought me this wheelchair or yeah. something. Like. It makes me so happy that McDonald's backed away from the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that really delights me to no end. What's odd though is that the the filmmaker R.J. Louis actually was the guy that was like. You know, he was the one that was kind of driving this McDonald's thing. He, and also, you know, one of the key scenes in the movie is is the dance that happens in the McDonald's oh, restaurant. The, you have to stop <laughs> so, and explain. Yeah, I think we, we need to go into detail. Yeah. Pause right. and explain what that, what, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it is, and it's one of the the, be, the better scenes in, in the movie. Um, at least one of the most funny. So um, it, it uh, the film sort of builds up to this crescendo where they're all going to McDonald's for this birthday party. Yep. And uh, so they go to, into the uh, McDonald's car park where... A dance ensues and breaks out. Hang on, just... Aren't they on the run from the government agents? Ah, absolutely. At the time they enter the McDonald's? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I missed that key detail. <laughs> so, so, uh, 
so, so the key, the, the main character in the film is trying to abscond with this alien creature. And the way that they uh, decide would be a good idea to hide from the, from the federal agents is to dress him in a teddy bear uh, skin or the outer layer of a, of a teddy bear. Um, you'll never guess that there's a live alien creature inside of it. Um, and well, so that... to be fair, if I saw a moving teddy bear, I wouldn't be guessing that there was an alien inside it. Okay, fair enough. Um, so then they get to the McDonald's uh, car park and they're about to go in, um, you know, to get away from these federal agents and this you know huge dance breaks out that starts in the car park and makes its way into the restaurant where ronald mcdonald is and starts dancing so yeah it's crazy it's 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 just like a video clip yeah inserted just randomly in the middle of a chase scene yeah Yeah, it's almost like it's um a commercial for the super bowl back in the 80s that they were like oh this will be a cool little dance thing for McDonald's and we'll we'll," you know how they do those big budget commercials at the Super Bowl it looks like that like it's a video clip it's something that you would definitely would have inserted in that yeah and that guy, that uh, that RJ, he he seems I'm, I'm, in a bit of what I was reading, he's quite defensive of that scene. You know, <laughs> like he's like, I just wanted everyone to have a fun time, and I don't know. I think I feel like he honestly is either quite naive or just totally underestimated the intelligence of mm. the viewing audience, or yeah. just doesn't understand that people won't just accept random mm. crap. And uh, like that's it's yeah. staggering. But I if think- you if you're listening and you've never seen it. I wouldn't recommend watching it, but you should YouTube. I honestly believe you should YouTube Mac and Me McDonald's dance scene. It's well worth it. And a apparently, look. Um, did you guys know this? Jennifer Aniston appears oh. as one of the children what? in the car yeah. park. No, no, yeah, yeah. Her, her first, like, appearance. first appearance, yeah. 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 Wow, that's <laughs> so, incredible. Wow. There you go. That's reason enough to watch, isn't it? So, <laughs> so has our director friend gone on to do anything else of note? Um, he kind of has. Like he, I think he was the producer for the Ocean's Eleven remake. Wow. wow. Yeah, so he actually went on and had a fairly decent career after Mac and Me. And like you say, Dan, like he mentions, the, it sounds like he is very naive. On the one hand, he thinks like this is actually a really, um, you know, a legitimate artistic endeavour. But on the other hand, he admits stuff like that, that he said, oh no, I definitely put the song in there because we wanted to break out, you know, uh, the soundtrack and we wanted to make sure that there would be toys in all the restaurants. Yeah, so yeah. he's deliberately talking about all the product placement and talking about how this is going to be such a massive commercial success from a product placement point of view. But then on the other hand, he describes the film as a heartbreak and he's really sad that it didn't get a fair run. So obviously that's one of the pivotal scenes in the film. It's probably the most famous scene. The second most famous scene would have to be the wheelchair <laughs> going over the cliff, <laughs> which sounds horrible. Three yeah. grown men laughing at a, a four, grown, <laughs> four grown men, sorry, laughing at um, a disabled boy, a disabled plummeting. boy plummeting off the side That's of a, a cliff. Certain death, yeah. But you guys would obviously know the Paul Rudd um, tie-in with this. Yeah. Every time Paul Rudd appears on Conan O'Brien's show, whether it be the Conan Show or whether it was the Late Show or any of the shows that Conan's done. Every time Paul Rudd throws to a clip from his latest film, hey, this is a shot from Ant-Man, it's that scene of the boy in the wheelchair going over the edge of the cliff. You've been showing that stupid clip on my show. Thank you. Thank you. For, I think, 15 years. Thanks. It's from a movie called Mac and Me. Oh. And you always convince me you're not going to show it again. I know. And you promised me you're not going to show it again, and you show it again. Oh, get it out there. All right, all right. But I actually did have the act. You do have yes. one. Yes. Okay, let's take a look. All right, get out. Yes! Paul <laughs> Rudd, you're a really bad guy. And the first few times, Conan's like, I don't know, unaware that this is going to happen. And then after he's done it like five, six, seven, twelve times, Conan's like just pissed off. It's like, what is going on? Why do you always do this? It's hilarious. Which is one of the things that really attracted me to this. And I think when I mentioned it to my wife, she said, oh, do you know about the Paul Rudd thing? Yeah. yeah. And then that set me down the, the whole YouTube thing there, which I just think is hilarious. And we should be clear, Paul Rudd's not in the film. No, he's, no, absolutely no, not. No, no and he's probably been responsible for giving this film a lot of prominence that it otherwise, you know, wouldn't have had. It's almost like The Room and the fact that um, all of Hollywood or it's all these, you know, these comedic actors are in love with that film. 
yeah. Paul Rudd has made this film famous yeah. for how bad it I'm, is. And I'm it's sure, funny. ironically, at the moment the wheelchair like actually hits the air, it's just so clearly a really cheap dummy <laughs> yes. like, in the chair. It's just horribly made. I'm glad you noticed that as well. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. It's the sort of thing where you're like, hang on. You know, you wicked being like they spent thirteen million dollars oh. on this movie, but couldn't find a more realistic dummy. <laughs> yeah. like, come on! But apparently, they made the main actor Jade uh, Calligari do the stunt, or didn't make him, but he did the the stunt where he's actually careering down the hill in a wheelchair. And wow. just that was right actually up. him, and then they just cut and throw the dummy in. Right, oh yeah. someone just had to catch the wheelchair at the <laughs> yeah. bottom and just hope they could grab it in time. Did you watch the um, DVD extras to find that bit out? Or was that in the ma- <laughs> the making of Mac and Me? It's, I told you I did extensive research on this. <laughs> <laughs> it is I think the analogy to the room is very apt. Yeah. It well, is... especially because the director seems to care for th- this movie. He, he can honestly it, yeah. do that. I can imagine going on a Saturday night late with a room full of, you know, slightly drunk people watching Mac and me, everyone cheering when the, he goes off the cliff, everyone <laughs> whistling along with the uh, aliens. Doing the mysterious hand signal that yeah. the family does. We'd all be sitting there with our Big Macs and we'd have, we'd have a cheers of Coke every time McDonald's was on the screen somewhere. I would love to see that event happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're right, like even if you trawl through Twitter, you see people sort of tweeting about it now who are saying, this is absolutely my best like alien family genre movie, <laughs> which is amazing. But it's true. Like a lot of people have a lot of, uh, you know, endearing feelings for this movie. What, what other films are in that genre? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Surely it's just E.T. and this. Is there any others? I can't think of any. The Coneheads? Sure. Yeah. Yep. Good one. Good one. <laughs> and I think you mentioned the budget. That's another thing I just find extraordinary is that this film cost $13 million and only was able to recoup about six. Yeah. So it's lost, you know, a heap of money. Um, E.T. cost $10 million and made like $800 million. So, yeah. yeah that's... It's funny, though, because E.T., I know this sounds dumb, but it actually seems more believable, like the alien in it looks more realistic. I, don't, I know there's no... In E.T.? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it, it doesn't look as crappy, well, I But guess. I think it gets... Like, E.T. would have been like a Stan Winston, you know, like, you know, the sort of, like, famous Hollywood uh, monster effects maker. Guy. Yeah, effects yeah, guy. Yeah. Um, so I think you could get uh, an actual performance out of the puppet of yeah. E.T., whereas these weren't... These were just people wearing masks. Extremely <laughs> wooden. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that the... That for me, the thing that shows you the difference in quality most, almost symbolic of the two movies, E.T. and Mac and Me, is that E.T. is essentially grotesque, but is somehow cute. Mm. Like, it's, yeah. they've just ridden the line between weird-looking alien and cute perfectly. Yeah. And you know that whoever made Mac for this movie was trying to do the same thing. But just actually just disgusting. Like yeah. his family, like you described that, that sagging yeah, brown oh, skin. Gross. <laughs> oh, it's honestly hideous. And there are times where if, you know, like if you were watching it, you could think this is an excerpt from a horror film. Yeah. Like this, these creatures are just going to destroy. Yeah, I actually thought that too, but it, for a different reason. Um, the f- like the film is only like an hour and a half long in total, and it takes like a good thirty minutes to actually see the alien appear, or at least for him to make himself known to the family. Which I just think, you know, get yeah. to the point, guys. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and in that first half an hour, the alien starts like messing with the family. He starts like making the TV come on and remote control cars go by themselves and this kind of stuff. And there's a scene where the kid gets up. He's been woken up, in fact, because Mac has like sent this remote control car into the bedroom, wakes him up, he goes to explore, and the next minute a bandsaw comes through the wall because he's cutting a giant <laughs> hole through the outside. Yeah. I just reckon with the right music, oh, that man. could totally be a horror movie. Yeah. Well, it gets really dark, you know, uh, when they finally do reunite with the family, with the, with the alien family. Yeah. Um, because, like, like they're, they're dead. They're dead. <laughs> they're, they're, they are that dead. That is a horror scene. They're dead <laughs> in a cave. Yeah. They're dead in a cave? Horror scene. But are they yeah. dead? <laughs> well... You'll have to watch to find out. <laughs> no, the, that is the next greatest scene in the movie for me. Yeah. When they're dead in a cave and they are brought back to life with a sip of Coke. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Nothing a bit of Coke can't fix. <laughs> That's the moment where I just went, oh, come on. That's the moment. That's the moment. That's the moment. That's near the end of the film, Greg. <laughs> 
You were hanging on for dear life that long. <laughs> this could redeem itself. <laughs> you're 127 minutes in, and you're like, oh, that's not bad. <laughs> what? That is not on. <laughs> My tolerance threshold is very high. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Uh, and then the movie ends. <laughs> oh, at the point the movie ends, I, honestly, after they bring the aliens back to life, with coke i honestly don't think the writers know what to do no the next thing they have the aliens do is just wander into a supermarket and you're like okay it's not that so everyone freaks out suddenly the place is surrounded by cops and once some rogue police officer or a few of them shoot the aliens there's an enormous explosion which is incredible <laughs> because it's like a few guns go off in a car park and suddenly the whole shopping center is totally incinerated the little boy dies cuz he's close to the flames and then suddenly the alien family emerges from the flame hold hands around the little boy with a few of the people and bring the boy back to life. Like, <laughs> these aliens have so many abilities that are just randomly and like not like they're not foretold. Like it's no. not clever storytelling where you're like, oh, they could do the thing that brings <laughs> yeah, him back exactly. to life. So you're yeah. just like, whoa, where but did that come from? Surely but, these aliens be more like, hey, why doesn't everyone just give him a bit of coke? Yeah. And like bring <laughs> they always him just back. pull these abilities out of their butthole mouths. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But the thing that really, I, I felt like I was a slightly bad person for thinking this, but the thing that really annoyed me is that they bring him back to life. They can bring him back from the dead. Can they make his legs work? <laughs> can they make his legs work? No. He's still in a wheelchair. Like, come on. That's like yeah. a health insurance Do the whole thing. job, like, That's yeah. a pre-existing condition. We can't, we can't help you there. Uh, it is... But that's actually not the end of the film. No. There's even a more mind-boggling scene. Yeah, like they become part of society. Like they're just <laughs> everyday people. Like no big deal. Whatever. There's just an alien over there and wearing like a suit. Like get insurance jobs because they're all wearing human clothes all of a sudden. <laughs> it basically yeah. just cuts to them at a like citizenship ceremony. <laughs> yeah, doing. And they just are dressed in like suits and like Middle America Bible Belt dresses and things, and it's real strange. <laughs> Do they become Americans at that point, or are they? I don't know, mm. citizens of the world? No, I, I think, think they're Americans, right? Okay. Yeah, and because you can hear in the bit of the guy leading the <laughs> they, ceremony. They drink Coke, right? Yeah, so yeah, they're yeah, American. Yeah. They that's, had to renounce that's a, allegiance to any other <laughs> nation or body. Can't sit in the Australian Parliament. Fun fact, that's a... the same way that Short Circuit 2 ends, <laughs> with Johnny Five becoming an American citizen. Oh, no, really? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a trope. Do you reckon, it's great. Do you reckon Trump would let them stay in America? Oh, oh definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Trump would shoot them himself. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't know how many more other aliens they're going to bring in. Right. Exactly. Mm. Oh, they got a huge problem. <laughs> Did anyone else notice during the chase scene that the music sounded a lot like the Back to the Future theme? Because, of course, it is uh, Alan Silvestri who did the music for it, who did Back to the Future. Yeah, which is, because uh, I was like listening, I was like, this sounds like yeah. Back to the Future. They're just uh, ripping almost, off one more thing. And almost identical. Googled it, and yeah. I was like, no, Alan's just ripping himself off. Yeah, well, he would have been working on Back to the Future stuff at the time, maybe. I, guess, I mean, 80, it was 88, and the like second Back to the Future movie was in production and coming out and mm. stuff, so he would have been, yeah. Well, that's what's interesting is they've actually brought in like some serious film people for this thing. Yeah, like, yeah that... but no actors. <laughs> no. <laughs> like there's no one in this film of note that has gone on to do anything. I think Jennifer uh... Aniston, my friend, we've already covered that. <laughs> right. And, and, right. and, and Christine Ebersole. That's the mum, right? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the mum who was in uh, Richie Wolf... Rich. <laughs> and, and Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> and Wolf of yeah. Wall Street. She's yeah. in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She was the mum in Richie Rich. <laughs> so I bet she thought, yeah, my career is going to go up from here. After uh, All right, so she did a little bit, but there's no Drew Barrymore. No. No. Nah, that wheelchair boy never was in anything else. No. Was he? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was on Geraldo once. You knew, you knew that something. too much. You were like, I no, really want to watch another was. film. <laughs> I really wish he'd had like... He progressed through his career, like basically ripping off other films. Like he's a disabled boy left alone in a house on Christmas and must defend, defend himself from two robbers. 
But that, that was an interesting point, the fact that, you know, I think, you know, for the first time in American cinema, you did have a disabled character on screen. And again, I think that was one of the things, I think the director was kind of like, he was disappointed that that didn't resonate more with American audiences. Oh, do you think that was one of the first sort of... <laughs> well, yeah, from, from what I gather, it, it wasn't something that was too common on American TV and probably mm. isn't even now. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. I, yeah, and like, I can see the director's disappointment in that, you know, people didn't sort of get on board with that. But the movie... <laughs> Is t- so terrible. But like, yeah, even if it's a way. genuine heartfelt it's, it's thing a heartfelt to like, thing, yeah, to put forward, you know, a, a hero that has a disability. Yeah, amidst all the product placement and McDonald's mm. tie-ins, it just it, the whole thing reeks of like a cynical attempt to manipulate mm. people. And yeah. so, even if it's heartfelt, people just, I think, saw it as an attempt to make them like a crap film. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think I, that's the other thing is I feel like it in some ways is fairly earnest. Like it's, it's not the, the most terrible film I've ever seen, but it's not good, you know, and it mm. lacks, I think it lacks a lot of the heart that ET's got. And I sort of, you know, went and watched ET again recently. It's just a lot slicker, you know, mm. in, in yeah. terms of the production, the effects and, and the story, you know, it's got a lot more heart. So yeah. I think they, they were just, missing that key element. Wow. It has its fans, though. It does. Like, online, there are people writing defences of Mac and Me. What do they say? Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know. There are people saying, oh, this movie's so much better than E.T. I watched this a hundred times as a child. The ISP all go back to this RJ Louis guy's, like, website or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've got to get this out there. He's got 200 <laughs> Rotten Tomato <laughs> accounts so he can add his own reviews. Well, you, wouldn't you... help because it's still zero. Oh, no, but his yeah. fan score, 37. <laughs> and I reckon he's a solid 36 of those. <laughs> Do you think that some people might like it just because they saw it as a kid and it's a nostalgia thing? Yeah, now? if you like, saw this first, yeah. potentially. Mm. Like, but, mm. Yeah, and he, he reckons that, you know, RJ Louis reckons that if he hadn't been sort of up against Die Hard, and I think some of those other big blockbusters that <laughs> he thinks Mac it would have worked. <laughs> Do you think, the Venn, excuse, Do you think right? the Venn diagram of Die Hard and Mac and Me cross over much? I don't think so. <laughs> Like there's a family with five kids. What are we going to take the kids to see? Oh, that's because he die hard. Well, that's a good Christmas film. Kids like Christmas. Let's see that. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. All right, let's leave behind the the mess, the muck that is Mac and me, and talk about things we have actually been enjoying uh, in the past week. Let's start it off with Eden today. Yeah, uh, I am going to uh, push uh, the TV show Barry. Um, it is Bill Hader's new show where he is a hitman who takes an acting class. Now, is this a comedy or a drama? Because I've seen a little clip here and there, but I can't tell. Uh, it is a little bit of both. It is okay. just an outstanding new series. The 30 minute guy. It's a 30 minute guy. guy. 30 minute guy. I think uh, six or seven episodes have come out so far. It's also got uh, the Fonz, Henry Winkler, in it as an acting teacher, who is great. <laughs> playing himself or? No, playing a character. Okay. But it, he's outstanding. And if I like this, I will like Barry. I think if well, it's very different, um, the closest thing that I'd put it to is maybe something like Last Man on Earth for the combo of comedy and drama. Yeah. Okay, good, good. I think Who I'll makes it? it Can I just ask? Um, I'm not 100% sure, but it is uh, watchable on Foxtel in Australia. Oh, great. Just get your little plug in there, mate. Well done. Just... <laughs> Uh, Aiden, what have you been enjoying? We know he's getting a cheap subscription. <laughs> That's right, baby. Uh, I've been enjoying the band Polish Club a lot at the moment. Um, they've been around for a couple of years. They're from Sydney. They're a two-piece, just um, guitar and drums and vocals, obviously. Uh, and they're, they're really awesome. You might know their song, uh, Give Me Money, which is getting a fair bit of play on Triple J at the moment. They're, I don't know, they're just really cool. They've got three EPs out and an album. Uh, and if you like sort of grungy rock, which is probably not too thriving at the moment. This is definitely the best there is around. Interesting. Nice. Hmm. <laughs> what's the what's your favorite song of theirs at the moment? Gimme Money's the, the hit single at the moment, but um uh, uh anything off their album alright already. Like there's um there's no fillers. Come party. Uh, this, this, they're just a fun band. They're a fun rock band. All right. Well, let's have a listen to that last one you mentioned. Just a few seconds of Come Party.
to you now. What's uh, what's been exciting you oh, recently, gentlemen? I, I can't get enough of uh, Ink Master. You guys know about this show? Ink I've seen a bit of Ink Master. It, I'm all about it. It's my whole life at the moment. <laughs> uh, we're we're like seeking out you know previous seasons. We're buying them on iTunes. It's just an addictive program. This I is love the it so much. reality TV show hosted by that guy that was in the Chili Peppers that's or something. That's the one. Dave Navarro is the that's host the of the show. Um, <laughs> the guy it, that was in the Chili Peppers. <laughs> that's it. And Jane's Addiction. Jane's all Addiction. All those great bands. Yeah. And it's just, it's such a terrific show. It's a reality TV show. It's all about tattooing. They get these tattoo artists from all around the States and they put them through these impossible challenges. But, you know, the most amazing thing about it is people actually sign up. They put their, their, their flesh on the line to be tattooed. And I just can't believe it. Each week you'll see like in Incredible tattoos, which is amazing, but obviously some train wrecks and some disasters, which is the whole appeal of it. Oh my god, stop, 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 stop. No, 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 no. Bam. It'll make me feel better. We ain't got a whole lot of time, so I gotta get on it. My god, my poor back. I'm not happy with it. It looks like pee. Like the fish is pee. What kind of is that? This bitch is crazy. Like, I can't figure out how to please her. You're telling me that that doesn't look like a puddle right now? It's a water splash. Looks like my niece drew it. Well, don't, don't insult me, man. I have to live with this, and you're not paying for my removal. I'm going to fix it. My, uh, I've been absolutely obsessed this week with the podcast Dirty John. I just uh, randomly uh, came across it. Uh, I figure as a newsman, Greg, yeah. that you would be across it. It's from the... Uh, produced uh, by the LA Times, LA Times yeah. and uh, I can't really think of a better way to describe it than to just read you its own description of the uh, podcast app. A true story about seduction, deception, forgiveness, denial, and ultimately survival. Deborah Newell, an interior designer in Southern California, meets John Meehan an over f- on an over-50 dating site. His profile looks exciting. She falls in love fast, but her children dislike him and warn her that his stories don't add up. I got a big smile on my face, and you know why? Why, John? Because trust me. Just trust me. Just why? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it don't happen. You will understand when the time comes. Dirty John is a story about seduction and deception. It's about family and forgiveness and the borderland between love and death. It's the kind of thing where you look at somebody and you swear, you swear you can hear, you can literally hear the seething cauldron that's inside their brain. And uh, if you like, it's sort of got a bit of a neo-noir vibe. It's uh, brilliantly soundtracked. It's very tense, very exciting. If you liked Serial, this would be, uh, I reckon, the most exciting podcast since that first uh, season of Serial. Mm, I'm a Cocoa Pops man myself. (laughs) 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 I don't know if we can pull anything more out of this. (laughs) This is a dead alien. It was so bad. <laughs> Shall we rate it then? All right, let's do it. It could be real ugly for Mac and me today, <laughs> I fear. All right, so I'm going to start with you, Greg, Ooh. for the scoring. Uh, our first test is, uh, or our first category is mm. the iPhone test. As you're watching uh, Mac and me, how compelling was it? Were you fully focused, fully engaged? I have to say I was pretty engaged, but probably just because I was watching it so critically. Um, yeah, I didn't. I don't have an iPhone, so does that fail the test immediately? <laughs> oh, you're yeah, one of those Samsung, uh, wait, Samsung guys. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, I was fairly engaged in it, and and it is quite a short film, so I was able to hold my attention. All right. So out of five, oh, look, I've got to go no higher than a two. I yep. think. Yeah. Aiden. Yeah. Same for me. I reckon a two. I, there was parts where I was genuinely watching, but. Uh, the phone was there predominantly. <laughs> One, I, I watched it, uh, but I really couldn't. I, oh, God, I couldn't commit. <laughs> it's this weird space where it's a little bit train wreck style, yeah. where yeah. you're like watching it just out of like, whoa, what terrible thing am I going to see next? But at the same time, you're thinking, boy, I wish I was doing something better with my time. Anything (laughs) else. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to give it a two. And to be fair, like, this was an iPhone test, 
not a um, cheeseburger test because I was eating a lot of cheeseburgers. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had my bottle of Coke, obviously, big fries and um, a Big Mac. So that was getting in the way a little bit. And after your generous donation, Ronald McDonald House has the new Aiden wing. <laughs> Good people down in Melbourne. <laughs> All right, cultural significance. Uh, do you feel like, you know, you, you've gained much from having seen this? Oh, look, I've, I think it was interesting while the ride lasted. I'm glad the ride is over now. Um, yeah, look, I'll give it like a five for cultural significance. Out of, wow. out of five? Oh, five out of five. No, 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 sorry. <laughs> you guys are confusing me with two the rating half? system. That scared me. Yeah, yeah, let's go for a two and a half. <laughs> um, I'm giving it a zero because I'd never heard of this film <laughs> until now. And I'd, I had seen the Paul Rudd thing, but I hadn't really thought much of it. I don't think I can give it more than zero. Uh, the cultural significance has made no impact whatsoever on anything outside of this film. I'm giving it a one. I think, well, I recognize the VHS cover. That's something. <laughs> <laughs> I do think nowadays like, there's, there are a lot of people that aren't aware of Mac and Me, particularly if you're, say, under the age of 30. Yeah. You're, you're probably not going to have seen it in your childhood. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know, for the, for the weird mix of... Ronald McDonald and all that sort of stuff. It's a pretty fascinating rabbit hole once you start doing the research. So I'm going to give it a two for cultural significance. Uh, returnability. Greg, uh, going to be watching Mac and Me again sometime? Um, I will not be. <laughs> I think that's a, like a big zero on that. Aiden, going to um, watch this with your little boy? No, I will never watch this again. Zero, but... I would love to see a film about a, a young boy that adopts an animal that's wild in the country and um, gets addicted to KFC. The colonel kind of helps him out. Or maybe maybe the backstory behind the rooster at Red Rooster. I would like to see these these more t- fast food films. That's I think the, that's a genre I can get behind. That's the uh, similar thought. I've had a movie. I've been tossing around a movie. Hungry Jack and Me. Uh, love it, love it, love it. I want to I see the backstory of the jeans that Jared wore at Subway. I think there's a, there's Jared, a market. Jared is Well, I lost you with the last one. <laughs> Eden? Um, what one is this again? Return oh, return- zero. Zero. Oh, my God. Zero forever. Can I also say that returnability has to be low because... It was damn hard to even watch. We had yeah. to, yeah. I had to find like illegal YouTube links and whatnot. <laughs> it was really tough to track down. Not on iTunes. Not on I don't know, like anywhere. Anywhere. Not a, I couldn't find DVDs. I couldn't find Netflix. Yeah. Stan. I think nothing. you could probably still write to RJ Louis and request a VHS <laughs> copy. I reckon he's got a basement full. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, it has to be zero. There's no way you would ever watch this again. Like, if, if it was a room-type thing where I could go and, and, and laugh with people, maybe, yeah, but yeah. in my own time, in my own house, there's no way. Yeah, if there was like an experience where there's like, you know, an interactive experience for watching Mac and Me, that, that would be fantastic. Let's will get you, that going. Let's, let's, let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. Yeah. yeah. Our first public My First Time event. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's uh, partner friendliness. Is this a good film for a date night, Greg? Ooh, if you, oh, wow. That's a great question. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't. Did you watch this with your partner? No, because um, like Aiden said, you have to find it on YouTube. So I was like, you know, on the laptop in the, in the office watching this thing and it felt like a bit of a duty. So In the office? Yeah. Did you watch this on company time? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, home, home office. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it was research. You're dodging bullets today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I, yeah, look, I think if you're trying to get rid of a date, maybe, but uh, yeah, no. Zero? Yeah, let's give that a zero. Um, I'm going to give it a one. I My wife's into some dorky stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, she loves rollerblading and 80s type stuff, so I think she may enjoy it for a bit of a laugh, but only a one. Yeah. I'm going to go one. I feel like there, there would be people out there that you could could laugh together at the movie and maybe it would be a nice yeah. date. But it's not going to be a common thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing it with you. I'm going to go just split 0.5. <laughs> if you watch this with on a date, you're an idiot. <laughs> and honestly, if you and your partner can't find something better to watch... 
You've got issues. Just yeah. split up. Find someone else to watch films with. All right, uh, let's have a little break while we tally the score. Okay, Greg, uh, you have uh, been... I don't know what I would describe what you've done to this podcast by making us all watch Mac and Me, but <laughs> let's talk about something you uh, enjoy, something mm. that is all-time favourite, mm. and uh, focus on uh, a, a, sh- a ray of shining light. Yeah, well, yeah, as you mentioned before, I'm a bit of a newsman, so work in the media industry. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson, I suppose, is, has to be one of my all-time pop cultural favourites because, you know, obviously it's the books but also the movies that um, were popular in the in the late 90s. But, you know, I sort of can't go past a garage sale and not buy a Hunter S. Thompson book, even if I've got 50 copies of it. Now, I'm nodding my head, but Eden's a little bit unsure. <laughs> oh, um, God, because <laughs> who are you, Eden? <laughs> what, what, what's Hunter S. Thompson famous for? What's the go-to, the one that everyone knows? Okay, so he was a, uh, a famous journalist from the States um, in the 60s and 70s. Um, He was famous for, I suppose, pioneering a a genre of journalism that they call gonzo journalism. And a whole bunch of other journalists from the States at that time became popular for what they called the new journalism, which was basically like, let's toss up the rule book, tear up the rule book. And um, renegade. He was a renegade. He, He really was. And the other thing that he did that he became famous for was inserting himself into the story, writing a lot about his kind of drug taking and his risk taking. So he became famous for that, which a lot of people sort of criticized him for because they thought he was, you know, basically making it all about himself, which he was to a degree, but also a very, very good journalist and sort of changed the, the face of political journalism in America. So, so it almost made it more relatable. He did. Um, but also, you know, his kind of perspective was you, you can't really get at the truth unless you insert yourself to that degree. Right. Um, and and so he did, and you know, like I say, he was criticised for that. But I think he sort of shifted the needle as well, and and showed people that you can actually inject a bit of flair and a bit of personality into that kind of journalism. There you go, Eden. So his, <laughs> oh, his thanks, biggest thanks, one's probably yeah. what Fear and Loathing uh, in Las Vegas. Do you yeah, think that's like his, his most. Well, actually, known? his big breakout hit was in the late '60s with um, Hell's Angels. Oh, yeah. So what what he did was he attached himself to the Hell's Angels for about six months, and actually lived with them, rode with them, went partied with them. Um, and the so big, he's a Louis Thoreau type. Yeah, exactly right. And and the kind of big climax to that book is he gets his head punched in and absolutely gets the shit beaten out of him by the Hell's Angels. So, um, which makes for a great climax for a book. So, but that that if you pick up that book is actually an exceptionally good piece of journalism. So he did some amazing work as well as you know being a showman as well. Is it true, or is it a pop cultural myth that he shot his ashes out of a cannon when he died? That's absolutely true, and it was um, he along the journey, you know, befriended a lot of celebrities, people like Jack Nicholson, I think, who was his neighbour, um, but Johnny Depp as well became a really close friend of his, and um, before he died, he expressed to Johnny that one of his wishes was that when I die, I want my ca- my ashes um, fired out of a giant custom-made uh, Gonzo cannon, <laughs> which Johnny Depp actually funded and you know paid for himself, as and in so, the Muppets character. Uh, no, so Gonzo uh, is... <laughs> no, because he does fire himself out of he, a cannon. He does. That is, that I, is I 100% that true, yes. I wasn't trying, <laughs> wasn't trying to be a dumbass then. No, so, so Gonzo journalism, as, as I mentioned, was just this unique brand of journalism that became applied to him. And there was a famous symbol, which is like this fist uh, with, I think, a dagger going through it. And that became the Gonzo symbol. So the, the cannon was based off that iconography. Okay. I genuinely, <laughs> genuinely thought that was... Case. <laughs> so that's true, and I think um, in re- and Johnny Depp's recent like financial troubles, that's one of the things that was mentioned. Was um, and you also spent two million dollars on this cannon that you know Hunter S. Thompson's ashes were fired out of. So. Uh, awesome. You should just rent it out for yeah. other rich people <laughs> rent to fire out. their ashes. <laughs> it's kind of bespoke uh, for that uh, situation. Though. Yeah. You'd go, to, you'd go to anyone's funeral if you knew if you knew the Hunter S. Thompson Gonzo cannon was going to be there. Yeah. So much more mournful, definitely. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of Hunter's big things was guns and he would fire a lot of guns and had this big property in Colorado and people would go there and you know they'd get roaring drunk and go out and fire guns into the snow and stuff and yeah so he was a wild man absolutely awesome well check out some Hunter S. Thompson if you haven't already let's get back and find out where Mac and Me sits on our scoreboard it's Mac time I'm loving it (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I want to set the scene here. Wait, I had so many more. <laughs> Do another one. Big McDonald's. That was that was a, a small slogan from 2001. What? Big McDonald's? Yeah, that was a, like one Big of their Mac. slogans. Uh, yeah. Hmm. It's a good time for great taste. Love I remember burgers, that one. Love McDonald's. I always like, mmm, it's Mac time. 
That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's Mac time. I said that one. Yeah, but you have to elongate have to the M. You go, mmm, it's Mac time. Mac time. In the on. 80s, they had like a little Crescent Moon character called Mac that they used to promote on their cups and stuff. Anyone else remember that? No. Mm. I think he was one that'd be like, it's Mac tonight or something. He was Ooh. meant to be oh, this Mac cool jazzy knife, guy. Yeah, right, oh, right. that does ring a bell. Yeah. 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 It's, let's all come together at McDonald's. <laughs> Sorry, let's all come together at Macca's, the Australian version. Yeah. That's a terrible That's slogan. That's a whole other film. <laughs> uh, all right, let's set the scene. We have experienced some dire things so far in the podcast. Uh, we had to watch Cruel Intentions. That's uh, got a seven in out of a possible 60. <laughs> Uh, Limp Biscuit got a five and a half. Mac and me with 3.75 oh. out of 60 is our lowest rated pop cultural entertainment. An all time low for the podcast industry. Yeah. I've taken you to, to a new low. I'm, I'm really, <laughs> really proud. You should be I'm very really proud. proud. Yeah. <laughs> we actually, like, we had been planning to do this podcast earlier, but we had to put it off for various reasons. Uh, a couple of times. Well, yeah. Ronald was on our back. He was, like, trying <laughs> to shut it down. And I hadn't actually watched the last 10 minutes or 15 minutes of the film and had to do that this morning. I was like, oh, it's so awful to be <laughs> watching this again. <laughs> Felt so low in my spirit. So thanks for that, Greg. I'm really sorry, guys. Has this put you off watching more bad films? You know, you said you were looking up worst films of all time, or are yeah, you going to plough on? Well, I don't know. Should I? Do you, what do you think? I think there. Are, I think that most other bad films are still better than Mac and Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I hit the, the absolute bottom. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. You're, you're at the top of the mountain or the bottom of the valley, whichever way that analogy works. Well, it's, oh, I don't recommend it. There's nothing worse out there. You'll be, <laughs> no, you don't, you'll don't, be don't, chasing don't. forever. Yeah. Oh, well, have you seen Mac and Me? Do you remember Mac and Me? Are you going to watch Mac and Me? Hit us up on social media. Let us know if uh, this is uh, something you're familiar with. I'd love to hear uh, something from anyone that uh, wants to defend Mac and Me. That would be that'd be fantastic. Do yeah. Mac and Me have um, a fan base? Like, they have a name for their... Are they... Like Maxters? Like Maccas or something, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The Maxters. I've got to do more research, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for joining us, Greg. Before we let you go, though, uh, with your work with uh, the uh, advertiser, Mm. you have some podcasts of your own on the go. Tell us about those. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we've um, got a couple of uh, shows that we hope people will listen to. I do a local history podcast. Uh, called Heaps Good History, so uh, tune into that. You can find it on the Advertiser website. And we also do a weekly state politics chat with our expert state politics reporters, which is a lot of fun. And uh, we try and make sense of what's going on in that crazy state politics I world. I heard a rumour recently. Mm. That's, that's <laughs> that pretty regularly, like every week or two, Stephen Marshall, South Australian Premier, gets Botox. Can you confirm or deny? I, 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 I cannot. I think you're the one breaking the big news here. I don't know. That's I've just a rumor I've heard. heard. You've never heard that? No. Oh, I want I want that to be a hot topic on <laughs> yeah. your next state politics <laughs> front podcast. page. I'm making a phone call right now. <laughs> let, let us know when the three of us can join you on uh, your podcast. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our, We could do that for an episode. Our first time oh. talking about state politics. <laughs> oh, oh, look at the listenership grow. Oh, Aiden, I really feel like you'd have some dynamite insights <laughs> into South Australian politics. Uh, I'll do what I can. (laughs) Having moved here very recently from Geelong. Uh, All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Greg. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, We've got a bit of a back catalogue now. Why don't you go back and download some old episodes or hit us up on social media. Like we said, tell us what you think of Mac and me. We'd love to hear from you. We'll catch you soon. Goodbye. Cheeseburgers, anyone? (laughs) Definitely.